With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Franklin's Silicon is a show. Excellent timing on that cue, Galix. Something about I wouldn't blame him. I thought Petty Fan was supposed to go first, too. So <laughs> I know we've been doing this for so long, but it, sometimes you just forget. <laughs> sometimes you want to forget. <laughs> uh, anyway, so welcome to another installment of uh, Fragments of Silicon. You're increasingly inaccurately... Uh, weekly vertical slice of gaming goodness and geek culture. We really have to tinker with that in the off season. Mm-hmm. It's just not. I can't remember the last time we were just one show a week. It's like we're either doing, you know, we've always got the main show, but you know, we've got the Euro interview, we've got the reviews to do. Like, you know, we did, we've done technically three shows this week. So, uh. It may be a minor point, but it is start- that catchphrase really is starting to become the artifact. Anyway, I'm your host, Adam. Uh, with me in the studio are Galix. I am here. Petty Fan. Woo! And Ogre. As they say, when you're out to slits, you're out to peer. Okay, then. That- what do they mean when they say that? That you gotta better get some more beer to drink. <laughs> Were you watching more Warwolf? No, that's from a different one. Oh. I wonder if like kisses gone horribly wrong, but her die kisses. I want to say that's Clonus the uh, the parts part. That probably is. Yeah. I remember a lot of old Milwaukee jokes in that. God, I think they did a lot of those jokes. Yeah, or Milwaukee's best. I'm honestly not sure what the difference is. Anyway, uh, onwards to the news. Uh, let's start with Galix this week. Uh, pretty uneventful week, really. I've still been playing with my Japanese game that I imported, and that's been going pretty well. Uh, you know how to read Japanese? A bit. I, I, I'm, I can do kana, all of that stuff. Um, I'm mad on kanji, but that's part of why I actually convinced myself to go get the game, because it it actually does help me remember some things better. Mm. So. 
Uh, that's been going well. Uh, I've been trying to find some time to play the games for review, and that's been going okay, too. Uh, I am still a little bit salty about the fact that uh, Team Pizza lost in the last Splatfest, but, you know, what you going to do? Um, do better next time? Well, it wasn't my fault. It was the team's fault. Splatfest, the way they work, it's kind of tilted against the favor of the more popular team now because the more popular team usually has more of the less skilled players and the less skilled players uh, drag down the win ratio, I think. But I'm not sure how bad it actually is. I'll take your word for it because I really don't know anything about the particulars of Splatfest, except that they're getting really, really weird now. Not that weird. Hi, welcome to Nintendo. Well, I mean, you didn't see the European Splatfest. They were Team Pizza with Pineapples and Team Pizza and team against Pizza with Pineapples. Okay, that explains that post. <laughs> yeah, that, like I said, that, they're getting weird now. Mm. Or at least Nintendo of Europe is. Yeah, I'm not sure who actually decides those. I don't think Europe has a Hawaii for that to make sense. Well, it's also, people keep forgetting that you're not supposed to have have uh, pineapple alone on pizza. It's supposed to be... No, it's like pineapple on ham, isn't it? That's yeah. Hawaiian? Yeah. It's yeah. supposed to be pineapple with ham because pineapple contains an, an enzyme, or it could be the other way around. The, the point is ham and pineapple mix well together. Now, I don't know if I've ever actually tried Hawaiian pizza. I'm not a huge fan of it, but, you know, it's pizza, so it's allowed, I guess. Hmm. Uh, still a damn sight better than anchovies. See, I actually like anchovies, so I'm weird. Dude, I've never tried it, so I can't say either way. It's just salty and fishy. Not exactly <laughs> up my alley, but <laughs> hey, I'm always open to new things. Indeed. All right, uh, anything else this week? Not really. Pretty uneventful. Yeah. Uh, okay, Teddy fan? Uh, not been doing a whole lot. Um, earlier in the week, I decided to walk over to the um, convenience store down the street and twist my ankle. So that, that was fine. Well, was it my fault that the street's falling apart and I had a loose spot? Sure, blame it on blame it on the blame it on the uh, country's crumbling infrastructure. Politics. Not on this show. Keep <laughs> and um, tomorrow I have to go to the Sprint store and take our last AT&T bill in so they can pay that $711. Jesus. Yeah, get disconnect fees and whatnot because we were like three or four months away from our contract being up. Ah. And that was five lines. Still, Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah, well, I like. Yeah, glad Brent's having that promotion. Yeah, this is why I'm kind of. He- this is why I'm hesitant to get, uh, look into anything with a contract. Like, I like being month to month because you know if I want to walk away from my current service or you know we want to walk away, I, I have a line with my mom. So. Yeah, I like being on the family's phone plan, so I don't have to worry about that shit. Yeah, the the point is, it's month to month, so I don't have to worry about. ETA, early termination fees. Well, the plan we're on now is also month to month, 
Yeah. But we're also leasing the phone, so. Yeah, that, that, well, that's a lot better than, hey, you have to, you're with us to two years, or you, you have to pay through the nose to disconnect. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think the only thing with ours is if we want out um, before the lease is up on our phone, we have to pay the remaining balance, which, uh, meh. Right now, we're not really leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if you, like, lease furniture or whatever, that's what they make you do anyway, so. Mm-hmm. Also, don't lease furniture. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, anything else going on? Uh, not really. Just been playing games. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Ogre, you're up. Uh, let's see. Well, we got a new furnace in the house today. Oh, damn. Because apparently the old one was released. It's releasing something. I don't know what the name of it was, but apparently we fell asleep and it turned on. We might not wake up, so. Oh, I, <laughs> I was about to say something that's not meant for humans to breathe. Yeah, I think we called so, it monoxide. Uh, I guess. It, it was one of carbon's many oxides. <laughs> oh, no. But, uh, oh. so we got that one in. Apparently, it just just started doing that, so it wasn't like nothing to worry about outside of obviously getting replaced because it's humans don't breathe carbon, let alone one of its oxides. So had that going for most of the day, which was, I guess, put our cat on edge for people around here all of a sudden. I was about to say, did you guys do it yourselves, or did you have... No, we had the guy come in. All right. Yeah, I wouldn't trust me around any power tools. Is this the wire? You're in the garage. Get out of there. Uh, What's uh, that burning smell? Oh, God, no. Let's see. In recording... uh, Recorded a what time? Monday. Yeah, you... Yeah, you're got a few videos. I don't know when Knock is going to switch over to three. I don't know. It's probably anytime soon. Probably closer to Christmas. Yeah, I imagine it's going to happen here, um, potentially tomorrow, because your new nope. your new game will be. Nope. I saw a schedule. He doesn't do it. Not this week. Not next week. So, like I said, I don't. I don't know the particulars of his schedule. So, but. Yeah, new game goes up. Should be interesting. I'm curious what people think about it. It should be the game I'm thinking of. Because, Probably. Because you've been I'm, I'm curious to see what people think about it because it's one of those games that like be kind of interesting. Go like, hey, they're doing this. Or it'll be one of those like, oh, they're doing this one. Jeez, what a bunch of people who are predictable in some way. Well, I, I suppose to give a hint, uh, Naka did say that it's going to be bigger than Mega Man 4. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a lot sure of stuff bigger than Mega Man 4. Are bigger than Mega Man 4. I think it meant bigger than the Mega Man franchise as a whole. Yeah. It could be. Uh, well, if you include the X and Beyond series, but... Mega Man X Command Mission? Uh, <laughs> We're going to punch you now, Golex. Be ready. Uh, but, uh, let's see. Oh, here's a question. Is it going to be something that's single vid or double vid? As in, like, oh, 
Yeah, like, it's just one video a day. Yeah, like, you know, Grandia 2 is. Now, it usually saves that just for the RPGs for the sake of speeding those along. Right, I, I, I know, I know. And that's what I figured, but, you know, I just remember you mentioning you recorded a lot this past Monday. Well, it's because, like, next week four videos go up. Right. So. That's why specifically I know that it's not going to be, it won't be this week or next week when he starts switches over to three. So, uh, well, his well, his third game is supposed to be Christmas flavored. Yep. Mm. Just, it, it'll definitely feel right when you see it and you go like, yeah, that's something he would have done. Elf is forward. Die Hard the video game? Mm, I don't know. I've not, no. not just ever played. <laughs> there are Die Hard video games. But I know. I know, but I'm trying to think of one that would have been appropriate, and all I just thought of was the NES one, and thought, no, no. Yeah. I don't even know what he thinks about the movies. But other than that, not much, really. Just kind of playing stuff on my 3DS. Like, I did download that Pokemon Picross, and I think that's hit the proverbial sweet spot on my... Well, this is something to do now. <laughs> they already made me pay money for it, and I thought, yeah, this is worth it. Totally worth it. And I mean that in a non-sarcastic way. I'm like, yeah, this is my niche now. I love Picross, so... What do you get for it, for the money? Uh, those little... What are those things? Like the little... Energy things. They're pretty, they pretty much look like Energon, but they call them something else. Oh, but like, is it just like pay to play more often, or? Yeah, it's pretty much it. It's like you either wait to grind out more on a daily basis, or you can just pay for a certain amount. But they do the same thing where they did in that uh, Pokemon Rumble pay to play thing. Was that um, after after you buy a certain amount, you just get them for free daily, uh, so you don't have to keep paying for it. So. It basically just turns it into a $30 game if you're willing to go for that. Hmm. Which I'm tempted, but we'll see on that front. Mm-hmm. Money is used for other things. Well, yeah, I would have had, you know, Paper Jam right now, but apparently we're not worth it until January 22nd. <laughs> I may hold a little grudge against that. <laughs> Not in Japan, it makes sense, because that's the place that damn, damn well made it. But Europe, that one confuses me. And yes, I understand that Europe usually gets screwed on those deals. But why did we Especially have to because it's already in English stuff? now. <laughs> well, it's like, uh, they got Mario and Luigi Dream Team first uh, as well. So. Yeah, but I didn't want that one right away. And I want this one now. Well, I guess you just have to make do with uh, other Mario and Luigi games. Import a European 3DS. Yeah. No. <laughs> That'd be kind of pointless. And also stupid. <laughs> but, uh, other than that, just wait until we're done here for the holidays and I'll watch MST3K in the meantime. <laughs> Which is a new drug. Yeah. It kind of is. Yeah, it's worse when you watch someone like Linkar and he throws in a clip every once in a while, and you go like, "Damn it!" And I saw that episode a while ago. 
Uh, the, well, the Kickstarter campaign has about two more days to go. And yeah. It's got about nine episodes funded, so that's nice. I'd like to see more, but hey, that all depends. Uh, well, anything else uh, to report this week? Mm. That's about it. All right. I guess it's my turn. Once again, it's been a quiet week. I mean, uh, I suppose... Well, minus the epic two-hour interview yesterday. Yeah, I'm talking about personal stuff. Ah. I, you know, I'd say the biggest thing was helping dear mother finish her uh, decorating. And, you know, I guess that went as smoothly as it could have. Let's just say I don't really like decorating her relatives. Indeed. I mean, that, that's why I was so annoyed on Friday, because you know somebody was so stubborn who, you know, they bought a they bought a Christmas stand that didn't work, that didn't fit. But no, 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 heaven forbid they return it, even though they had the receipt, and it only cost like seven dollars. You know, you're arguing with the wrong person because that's exactly what I would do. It's like shit. We'll find a purchase for it. <laughs> oh God. It's seven one up stands. It's more, you know, I kept having to adjust it and adjust it, and, you know, somebody kept complaining that I was moving it, but I'm like, that, that's more because that's gravity. Yeah, it was not a fun experience. Oh, there are the type of people who don't know how gravity works. Got it. Yeah, I, I guess she got it working, but I'm like, I don't know. Uh, anyway. I keep looking at our tree, and I keep looking, because... We put tinsel on there, and the cat loves to eat it. I don't know why. I it it has to be that string thing with cats, though. I don't know yeah. why about that either. I guess it's a fascination with their tails that they get when they're younger. Yeah. But I keep imagining at some point she's going to either tug at it wrong, and the whole tree is just going to attempt to fall on her. And I was like, oh, I really wish to be in the room where that happens. So you can stop it. I can kind of stop it, but I want to see the poor cat's reaction of like, what, 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 what? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Outside of that, uh, well, show news. Yeah, this has been uh, this is the last heavy week for us for the year. Now it's like we recorded a review on uh, Curses and Chaos. We yeah, we did a we did a really big two hour interview with. Uh, Square Enix Europe on Tuesday. Now, uh, still upset we didn't have any realization in that one. <laughs> uh, oh my God! What have I become? Paul, who is a werewolf? Oh, <laughs> oh well. Synergy. Yeah. Uh, maybe next time. Maybe next time. I mean, they seem to be. You know, they seem to be willing to come back. They seem to like us for some reason. That was our downfall. Oh shit! They gave uh, they gave us just cost three codes sight unseen. Like, yeah, we didn't ask for those. It was just uh, it was just like, hey, you want uh, you want some copies of Just Cause Three? Like, okay. I mean, none of us can run the game, but we'll take it nonetheless. We hope we'll be able to run the game at some time in the future. I'm like, it's a bit well. I don't. I have no idea when I'm getting my next computer. I mean, mm-hmm. That might be a couple of years. So, an upgrade for mine to run it will be 
almost 300 bucks. So that's going to be a while. Yeah, so it's kind of like, believe me, having a game sit in my Steam library for years is nothing new. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, though I suppose it's also worth mentioning that we are going to review the uh, Square Enix title Life is Strange. Uh, that, that's going to be a return on January 3rd. Um, in the meanwhile, uh, next week, uh, we got a review of Mugen Souls, and I announced this on Tuesday, but in case you missed it, our interview with uh, Trent Oster has been canceled because of death in his family. His mother-in-law passed away, and he said he's sorting through all that business. So, that's unfortunate. So we're, we wish him the best of luck, and hopefully we'll have him on the show, you know, in the spring of next year. You know, uh, no promises, but, you know, just the way life goes. So instead, instead next year's, uh, next week's going to be our uh, end-of-year retrospective. You know, uh, talk about the year in gaming, you know, our, be- our best games of the year, maybe our worst, like, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, we play so many games on this show that uh, I'd have a hard time, well, I know, actually, no, I know what the worst game I played this year was, and it's one we've reviewed. Yeah. Look through our reviews for more. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, well, that's a review that possibly could cost us a relationship. I don't know. I haven't heard from them since we uh, did the review, but uh, more on that next week. Uh, I think that's about it for this week as far as the news. So merrily we shall roll along to the interview portion. And this week we have, forgive me if I mispronounce your name, um, uh, Julia Karen Dittar and it's it's Italy Karen? Uh, Itai. Itai. Italy is some nice though. Yeah, Italy. (laughs) Cool country. Sorry. No, it's okay. I guess it's a lot. <laughs> uh, all right. So what we do with uh, people who are new to the show is we like to ask them, how did they first get into video games and indeed the video game industry? Um, I guess I'll start. Although Julia's story is probably more interesting, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started as a kid. You know, I was, uh, I was playing and was making games. Um, when I was a kid, I used to go, uh, instead of going to school, I used to go to the arcades to try to figure out how things are done and go back home and try to make them. Um, I was obsessed with uh, in a game in the 90s uh, and uh, try to make all sorts of... Uh, back in the day, it was very... You didn't have the tools to do stuff, so... Um, you were mostly just concerned with how to make the technology work. So it was like I was trying to make a cool speech fighter and a, I know, a cool, um, you know, uh, shinobi. <laughs> and so that's basically, I was like, just make it run on my poor PC at the time or something and make something uh, that, uh, you know, works well. Um, but yeah, I, I knew from like very early ages, this is what something I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it started. <laughs> I always wanted to be a dairy farmer. <laughs> and <laughs> somehow we ended up in video games. So. 
I gotta admit, I'm interested to to hear about how that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I worked on a dairy farm in school. I don't know why. I was a weird kid. I wanted to be a dairy farmer, and (laughs) I worked on it. It was a lot of fun, but um, the the money in dairy farming is just not very good. Do you still have that now? Do you still feel like the needle goes back to dairy farming? Um, no, I have I have other means of trying to keep house plants alive and failing, so that that keeps me busy. It scratches the same itch. Um, yeah, so I really liked the work, but the environment of like you know managing a farm is really difficult. <laughs> So I went into a much more lucrative career of art school, <laughs> and and then in art school I like stumbled across uh, HyperCard and Flash, and I remember playing Myst growing up. That was like my, one of my first computers. I didn't have a console, mm. so I I had to wait to get it like a PC, and then when I got a PC, I was able to get like Myst and Heroes Two of Might and Magic. And, uh, so I just uh, when I stumbled across these like programming things, I was like, "Oh, I can make these things! That's crazy!" And that realization made me want to go into video games. So it was a very indirect path. <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, <laughs> when did you both make the jump, like professionally, to to the video game industry? Mine was right out of school, um, art school. I. Uh, was already by that time making educational games, and I went into casual games um, right out of school. So that was that was a lot of fun. I taught myself programming on the job, basically, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, and for me, I I used to work. I had this big detour on. I, I used to make servers for for a long time. And then I was like, okay, maybe I can squeeze in games into it. And then I started making uh, multiplayer games and then uh, moved into the casual industry and then figure out that actually this is being, being in the games industry and, do, and making games that you really don't like was like the worst. It was just not, it's like being so close to something you love, but kind of hating your day to day was, uh, so at some point I was like, okay, Screw this! I'm gonna just make my own games, and um, that was like seven years ago. And my first game was uh, this uh, physics puzzle game called Rope Rescue, mm-hmm. which I also made with Julia um, before we were married. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, Mushroom Eleven is that our big big game that's been been just released. Well, have you been working on Mushroom Eleven for seven years? No, it seems like it, or or more. No, it, we've been working on and it's worth four three, years old. Three and a half. Three and a half years. Yeah. Wow. That's still a that's still a long uh, while, especially for an indie game. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Although really, we have a lot of friends that work on games for like either full time or just like as their kind of weekend thing, mm-hmm. and. And we've seen we've seen four years. We've seen more. Seen uh, people working on on games for for a decade. Uh, so it's pretty. I mean, when people are looking at it as their pastime or hobby, um, I guess there's a there's a different view, you know. Um, also, a lot of love goes into it. You know, a lot of 
a lot of care and effort and just takes a while to make good games. Also, I, honestly, when I when I started this game on Global Game Jam of 2012, I didn't look into the future and be like, okay, I'm going to release it at the end of 2015, you know? I was I thought it was going to be a, you know, a year and a half tops. That's what I thought. <laughs> it was just like as soon as you start working on the game, you realize it's just bigger than than what you think and just like follow it up. You just continue, dig in, uh, figure out what the game needs to be and just follow, you know, follow through. Yeah. Well, we've certainly heard a number of stories like that. You know, games, and it's not even just a matter of ambition. It's just, you know, there's a lot more work that goes into video games than, you, than someone might see on the surface. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a lot of things that are being scrapped, you know, a lot of work. If I just need to take all the work that I put in and that didn't end in the game, I'd probably make another game. You know, just, um, because you don't start with like a game design document. You know, you 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 have a kind of a a vision, and even that vision changes all the time. So you try something, and if you don't like it, you try something else. And, and um, uh, yeah, it's just it's a fun experiment. It just takes a long time. Hmm. I don't doubt it. Well, uh, I suppose that begs the question is, where did the idea for Mushroom 11 first come from? Um, so it came out of the Global Game Jam uh, 2012. It was actually our first game jam together that we did. And um, that's when you have to make a game in 48 hours around a theme. And the theme for that year was a snake eating its tail, or Ouroboros. So actually, I remember coming to the game jam uh, after Itai had already gotten there. And he had come up with this idea of uh, what if you had a bunch of, like, squares and you would kill those squares and those squares would regrow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that sounds great, but you're not going to code that in 48 hours. And then he coded it in eight hours. And I was like, okay, so this is the game we're making. <laughs> so, uh, actually, we had the basic idea of Mushroom 11 right away, which is pretty funny. Right, and... Uh Okay. Yeah, I can see. I can see where the what you came up with came came from that basic idea. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. The kind of kind of weird, come like trying to figure out, you know, the snake eating its tail, or, or you know, why? What does it have to do at all with this blob of, you know, cells that you remove and then you know they grow back? For me, it's actually you know when people ask me, so what does it have to do with it? You're like, what do you mean? Like it's it's obvious. You destroy it and it grows. Like for me, it was so clear because I saw I saw this as a game that is is driven by destruction. So destruction is growth. So for me, this was so clear. And I, a lot of the other friends of mine and other people were making games about um, you know the cyclical nature of or even the circle itself, like the the, the shape. I, I wanted to make something like almost like this metaphor for uh, destruction. And since I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of platformers, it was very clear that I just want to make an experiment with platforming where we, you don't really have physical control over your character. Instead, you have like indirect control by destroying it. So you destroy it and then it grows and let's see what it does. You know, you put it on your platformer, uh, uh, a level 
or seen and see what happens. And, and, you know, just one thing led to another and just became, it was just too interesting to not follow through and, and figure out that this is an actual game. Mm-hmm. Well, if it makes you feel any better, it's definitely, it's the most unique and inventive game I've played in a long while. Like, I can't really think of anything else this game reminds me of. Oh, thank you. Hey. <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, like I said, we play a lot of games here. We play a lot of, you know, like, and there's no shortage of indie platformers. I yes, think. that's true. Yeah, so finding a game that can take such a well-worn genre and craft something really unique is uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. And Thank you so much. And and it's it's true. It's uh, it's something that you kind of uh, it's an uphill battle even to explain that this is not exactly what you think. It's uh it's sometimes um not not easy. You know, even looking at the the videos, it's not you have to play this game. And and when you see people play the game and 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 they realize what they're playing after a bit, mm-hmm. that's that's a really great experience. But um, Convincing people how to play a game, or even describing this game, uh, Julia, you were you had this, uh, uh, you went this. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I right? couldn't come up with a good elevator pitch for it, so I gave up and then just showed Vine videos of the game. <laughs> oh, no, but you remember you were asking people how. Oh yeah, I, so one of um, you know, I was talking to a few of our indie friends who also make games about, you know, how do you come up with a pitch when you have a hard time describing your game. And someone was like, oh, when you do a play test, ask your, the people who just played the game to describe it to you, and that could give you ideas. So I did that, and all of the play testers were like, I don't know, how would you describe this game? And I was like, this is not helping. <laughs> and uh, we got two responses from people that actually were not like, I don't know how to describe this. Uh, and one of them was like, well, it's like massaging a cloud. And I was like, oh, it's great. <laughs> Our game is like you're massaging a cloud. <laughs> but it still doesn't quite work. I can see the connection, but yeah, this game isn't something you can really describe uh, high concepts. Yeah, the, physic, phys, the physics of it are kind of like massaging a cloud, maybe, but the atmosphere is very different from that. It's like yeah. a happy apocalypse. Uh-huh. And, and it's also, you're not, all, you're not just like, massaging it, you're kind of molding it. Because there were were points in that game where, you know, I wasn't, like, getting it to move. It was was an art project. Because, you know, you had this passage just out of reach, and you had to get the, I don't know, the slime mold? What is the avatar of this game? Um, It is kind of, um, as you probably noticed, there's no uh, direct um, explanation of what this thing is, which is another uh, interesting aspect of the game. But this is technically a fungus, um, a fungus, fungus organism um, that is able to somehow control itself, and but it only can grow up to a certain point. So you always maintain your size. So you destroy part, then it grows. But it, I guess it's a fungal. Organism. Yeah, it, it looked like very much like a slime mold when we originally prototyped it, and that's uh, where mushroom came up 
from. And then when we were researching about different types of mushrooms and funguses, they just took so many different um, and interesting forms and shapes and properties that really inspired us um, to, you know, plot out the, the backstory and everything and just, like, set it into this world. Mm. Makes sense. Well, uh, where does the 11 part come from? Um, I, I would, a lot of things happen kind of at the same time, you know. It's, sometimes you feel like a lot of your ideas were just meant to, to be combined in some way. And Mushroom 11 was kind of an internal joke that I've been carrying for something completely different. And, and then I made this prototype that looked like a fungus to, to Julia. And then like, you know, and, and then I combined it with the, the, this, this old thing, the Mushroom 11, this stupid random name that I actually pronounced pronounced it wrong to begin with, that's how it came about. And then it, it kind of created a story behind it. The 11, I don't want to tell too much, but it's like a series of, of experiments, you know? And, and this oh, whole thing, yeah, and this whole thing kind of uh, created this whole world where the mechanics of the mushroom, of this fungus, is also the story of the game or the, the backdrop of of the world, of the destruction and growth, and the idea that, you know, you, you see a lot of uh, hints on the humanity, but you never see a, a human being, you know, so where where are we here in this equation, and where are the humans, and, you know, are humans uh, uh, gone, are they destroyed, do we deserve to be, I mean, to be here at all, you know, it's like, it's a lot of uh, inter interesting questions that kind of started by just putting a lot of things in a mix that kind of didn't have anything to do with each other. And, and that spurred this ideas and, and, and stories and backstories and a lot of small stories that come out of those that you will never really hear because they are, um, they are laid out in the background of the images that you have to kind of decipher and figure that those things out. So, you know, we, we just, at some point, we just went all in and put this entire crazy story, but never really told it. And so, yeah. You know, I kind of suspected that going on here, because uh, it's all a lot of background stuff, and I'm like, you know, and this doesn't seem like a, a, a you know, a cutscene heavy, you know, talk <laughs> game. So I'm like, yeah, there's probably a story here. It's probably just all in the background. And I was kind of too busy trying to solve the puzzles to see it. But uh, uh, is it like in uh, does the story unfold in like images or uh, like a ciphered language or, so, or something like that? Uh, images mostly. Yeah. Oh no, there's uh, um, I mean, oh, there's, there's images, there's text, there's ads, there's propaganda. There's also a lot of scientific equations, and we actually uh, hired. Uh, two chemists to help us out so that the uh, equations aren't like, you know, when we watch hacker movies, <laughs> we always get like annoyed at like how they just open up some window and are <laughs> like just typing stuff. And so we, we wanted like our equations to be based in, in some sort of uh, science theory. And since, you know, a lot of the inspiration for the fungus is coming out of the real world, especially like the properties that mycelium have, we wanted to kind of bring some of that in. So so people who actually knew about 
you know, my uh, mycology could like look at that and be like, oh, okay, I I, I get where they were going. Um, yeah. And uh, but on the other hand, we didn't want to force our story down on anyone's throats. I think it's much more powerful for players to look at images that they're coming across and make their own connections as to what's happened to this world. And you know, as long as the main points are, you know taken back, we, we don't mind or, or even care that anyone gets the story that we had laid out. Yeah, it's, um, the bottom line is that just like what you said, like uh, you, the, the idea of having a, a, this elaborate uh, cutscene or, um, or, or God forbid dialogue boxes, you know, this is, this is not the right game for it. And I don't know if there are many ga- games that are right for it to begin with. This is, this is a game where people want to in- interact with the, the, this uh, mechanics. That's, that's obvious. Um, but the bottom line is, and I, I kind of like hinted toward it as well, is that the mechanics is the story. And the story has a lot in it. And we, we were thinking of how to, how to present the story or present these ideas to the players and, you know, like kind of asking the questions of where, where are the humans and, and why are they gone and, and, uh, and, you know, what does it mean? What does it all mean? And the idea of like, you know, make, making the, like this meta, meta game, which is figuring out this puzzle of what the hell happened to the world. This is something that is a lot of fun. So it's just kind of like we built this elaborate story with a lot of detail and started laying all the pieces. Uh, and then, as Julia said, you know, we, we this this whole thing is uh, lays on a foundation of chemistry. It's kind of like a funny chemistry that you know it it you don't really see this thing in the real world. And then we started looking into mycology and and came up with with this alternate theory or alternate chemistry that allows this to happen and we created an entire theorem based on it and, and created observations that would justify that theory and put all these things in there and all, all these things started connecting each, each other, you know, the theory with the story, with the observations, with the chemi- chemistry uh, uh, um, boards uh, and the uh, all the different elements kind of came together, and that, that was just fun for us. You know, just like putting all these things in there, and kind of like almost like a jokingly that knowing that a lot of people are not going to get it, and and we even <laughs> the funny thing is we even got a lot of people criticizing us for not having a story, you know, for for not uh, uh, worrying about the story, and it's like we look, we look at it and we're like, ah, I wish they looked a little. Deeper. Well, I suppose that begs the question: Has anybody tried to look deeper yet, or at least uh, has anyone like contacted you about like, you know, I think this is what's going on in this game kind of deal? Uh, yeah, yeah, a few people have, and for the most part, uh, they're you know they're right. I wouldn't say correct, but they're definitely like they have eighty percent wrong, uh, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. The people get a I lot. Mean, there was a few people that had like completely different ones where it was like, oh, that's cool. That's really like, cool, yeah. <laughs> we didn't think of that, but like that could be possible. Yeah. Like, we we're not going to tell them like, no, it's not it. Like, because that's who are we to say that? But yeah, um, but yeah, we've had a few people get pretty close. Yeah, and and people get the idea behind the game and the, the idea 
you know, there's um, a lot of the game is uh, is about um, this conversation between me and Julia and Simon and Kara on on how we see the world and and you know me with my very pessimistic view and Julia with her very optimistic view and of like me wanting to punish humanity and Julia kind of having the more humanistic approach of I don't think in my humanistic I just don't think I'm species specific. Like yeah, humans don't exist, but whatever. No, yeah, but I say that we don't deserve to Yeah, I I say I don't care. Because there's no deserving Deserving is void in this context because there's no humans. So what does a mushroom care if humans deserve to survive? We don't go being like, oh, dinosaurs deserved to like become extinct. Like <laughs> we're just like, oh, dinosaurs must have been cool. Like, <laughs> I'm sure fungus are going to be like, oh, humans probably are cool. Maybe they'll like have I don't know four year old funguses with like human birthday cakes. <laughs> well, you see, this is the kind of conversation that. Uh, you know, come up. <laughs> uh, sorry, I see. Well, I suppose we should talk about, like, the actual game itself. Uh, like, uh, was it hard coming up with uh, levels and level segments, uh, given the unique mechanics of the game? Um, so, for me, this was kind of like my... That was the most fun part, because... Uh, when you when you start with an with a the idea with an idea for a puzzle or a special new mechanics, you never know if it's going to be fun. And you know every every game designer would tell you the same, I guess. You know, especially when this is like this uh, uh, new realm. There's there's no reference really. I mean, for for good and bad, you know, there's no way for me to look at something and 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 know that this is going to be fun. Um, it started with just laying out some platforms or um, or, or level elements that I know from other games and obviously reacted completely differently in this game. Tunnels, the, all the little pegs, and all these little things. And then coming up with more elaborate uh, puzzles. Some of them were just not fun or frustrating, or um, and 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 a lot of things just. Just kind of emerged that were incredibly, incredibly satisfying, and even kind of trying to come up with how difficult this thing is, you know, just so I, I had this huge canvas of puzzles, like a, kind of a deleted scene that had tons of different puzzles. More than half of them did not make it into the game, and then it's like I'm playing with them and trying to understand the context and the difficulty. And even the curve within the level, so it's like some of them go into a level that is more about, um, you know, uh, uh, industry, like an industrial uh, ch- chains and, and belts. And some of them are more like, you know, water and more organic and fluid and environment stuff. It's like everything kind of trying to find where it fits. And even how it fits to the story in some cases, you know, there's some story elements that interact with with the puzzles themselves. So like finding finding that and coming up with new ideas, that is by far the most fun I had uh, with the game. And probably the, the thing that took the longest. Well that and the bosses. That and the bosses. And bosses took the, the longest, I think. Uh, and the tutorial system. But the tutorial system was ongoing. It was something that we tweaked over like two years. 
And that was just like, you know, how do you teach this game that nobody's ever played before and that, like, no one's really ever made before? Uh, and that just took a lot of, like, observation and user testing. We went to a lot of shows, and that's where we did most of our user testing. And that was really helpful. And bosses just took a long time because they're just so unpredictable. There's so many elements that I know we tie you, you would come up with an idea for a boss and then you would put it together and then just wouldn't work. It wouldn't be fun. Mm-hmm. You'd have to like strip it out and redo it or tweak it. And Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, just uh, thinking back on the amount of time I spent on bosses, <laughs> it's probably like a year from production. Uh, so, uh, uh, if you had to do it over again, would you include bosses again? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, bosses that, are great. They're great. But, uh, I'm just, I'm just kind of like uh, whining. But being better <laughs> at predicting time, I think <laughs> it's hard to extra- extrapolate because sometimes you come up with a boss right away and it works, and then you're like, oh, that boss only took me two weeks. So the next four bosses, you know, times two weeks is going to take. X amount of time, and it never works that way. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, was it just the two of you who made this game, or did you have other people working on it? Uh, we had two other people: uh, Simon Kono, who did all of the art in the game, and Kara Kono, who is his wife. Uh, she was our producer. Hmm. Yeah. It started. It started as a. Um, the, the this global game jam thing that started with me and Julia, and then pretty fast we were able to get uh, Simon. Simon, we've seen some art that he's done before, and it was just exactly the kind of this uh, colorful apocalypse thing that he, he was kind of known for, and we were able to get him on board. So me and Simon were working on it for a while, and then we were able to to bring Julia on board for, for like full time or close to full time. And then towards the end, like the last year almost, it was all of us were just hands on hands on deck. Oh, hands on deck. Yeah, one good thing about working with your significant other is that one person can earn money to support the other. <laughs> yeah, which is what Julia did. And Kara as well. And Kara, yeah. Duly noted, duly noted. <laughs> uh, but so, how did the development duties work between the four of you? We we had pretty clear roles, so I think that really helped. Um, yeah. I mean, I I don't I don't like other people touching my code and uh, and like the the scenes. So I was uh, I was the sole uh, programmer and and designer um, of like the the puzzle designer. Um, Julia has a lot of uh, um, a lot of experience in UX and tutorials and educational design, so she was uh, uh, designing the tutorial, and which is basically level one, how how to make sure that players understand mm-hmm. this kind of crazy unique uh, mechanic that could easily frustrate you if you don't understand what you need to do. And then after after that, I took on other roles that are really important for indies, but developers don't tend to do them, which is marketing and <laughs> PR. And so that was, as a developer, that was really weird for me to take on those new <laughs> roles. You did good. 
And uh, Simon was doing the, the, all the art uh, for the game, um, pretty much. And his wife, Kara, is the producer. Uh, so I think for the last two years, at least, she was uh, kind of handling the, the progression and... Uh, yeah, trying to slap out her sprints and burn down Ray and all that. Yeah. Right. And, uh, well, let's talk a bit about the soundtrack, because I was surprised to learn that this was done by the Future Sound of London. I was surprised to get them on board. Let's just say that. I'm, I'm a huge fan of these people. And just being able to be, like, you know, Facebook friends with them right now is blowing my mind. Yeah, you had, like, a three-hour conversation with them on Facebook. Right? Yeah. Like, cool no, <laughs> it, it really is crazy, you know, because I, you know, listening to their albums, I'm talking, like, back in the 90s where... Yeah. Uh, I, it, yeah? Yeah, I, I, I found out about... Uh, I'm familiar with the future sign of London through the Wipeout uh, games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like that, it, th- those are some of my favorite racing games of all time. And, um, but, yeah, for me, they, they pretty much invented uh, ambient, ambient music. Um, they were, or at least they, they shaped it to what we know today. And um, my favorite album there uh, is called Life Forms, which I really highly, I couldn't recommend it enough. And that is early 90s, I want to say. I don't remember when I picked it up, but they released it in the early 90s. And it is so groundbreaking and amazing that I actually used it as as inspiration when I was making the game and trying to figure out kind of where this is going, you know, more puzzly, more adventure, which is kind of ended towards that uh, uh, direction. So kind of made this whole thing very alien, but still kind of earthy and, and, and textural. And at some point I was like, you know what? You know it would be amazing if I could get that music in the game, which is ridiculous if you think about it. So I was able to find their agent, mm-hmm. you know, send him an email. It's like, uh, no, you know, you have to go through like three layers of labels and and, you know, it's owned by a million people. There's just no way. But we have some um, recorded music, some of it unreleased, and we like your, your idea. We like your game. We like indie. We are indie. They are indie uh, themselves. Like, they're actually right. indie. And, and you just support it, you know? Like, they, we, we decided on it, some sort of agreement between us, and they just gave me a choice of hundreds of tracks, some of them are not finished even, just like I can just like kind of get uh, whatever I want for certain different uh, environments. And it was amazing. I, I, you know, if I may say so, I, 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 I love, I love the, the soundtrack of the game. I'm very proud of it. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I'd imagine so. I mean, getting one of your favorite bands to score your game, it, it must be quite the accomplishment. It is, it's beyond, it's yeah, it's just pretty much. We were pretty, you know, we were expected not to ever hear back from them, and then <laughs> finding out that, like, oh, no, yeah. here's, here's all these songs you can choose from. Yeah. It's like, what? What is happening? Yeah. And then um, a few years after, we were also able to um, work with our friends uh, from uh, uh, Power of Audio to do all the physical sounds. Like, so all the sounds in the game are basically physic- physically uh, modeled, 
everything because the game is very it, it's everything in the game is based on 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 physics really and um nothing is pre orchestrated so making sounds for this game was like even the sound effects was so hard because you can't just record one sound and hope for the best, you know? Everything reacts differently according right. to the mass. Yeah, if you're one, one cell falling on an elevator or all 300 and whatever cells falling on an elevator, it's going to sound different. Right. <laughs> and you're 32. Um, yeah, it's, so everything from friction to velocity, all these crazy things, so they, they helped us. We came up with this entire new way of, making physics-based sounds, they, they were awesome. So I'm very happy with how the sounds came, came through. Well, uh, we're getting low on time here, so just a couple more questions. Um, now, I saw that you're, you're not just, you weren't just making this game for the PC, but you're making it for mobile devices. Yeah, we are working on it uh, as we speak, yeah. We, we know that this is going to be probably some say even a better uh, platform for it than mouse. I'm like, uh, I could see it working well on, you know, touchscreen devices because it's, you know, it's very point and clicking. Exactly. Exactly. And we, we know it. We know we wanted to, I mean, at some point we thought of, of releasing it simultaneously. At some point we just needed to focus, so we focused on, uh, you know, Steam, desktop, and all that. Um, but yeah, it's coming. It's coming in uh, hopefully in just a few more months. Mm. Right. Uh, I suppose the question is, how has the transition been from taking this game from the PC to uh, mobile? Or, like, is it built in Unity? Yeah, it's in Unity. Um, I think the biggest challenge for us is the, the controls, um, just like how it feels on mobile versus on PC. It feels really good, but there are some things that are a little bit more tricky, like uh, having right-handed and left-handed people play the game. Um, so right now, uh, if you play right-handed, it feels pretty good, but if you play left-handed, it's almost impossible because your hand blocks the progression because of the direction you're moving. So uh, we are working on a mode where we basically inverse that level. Um, for left-handed people. Uh, so, just a, a small anecdote. Oh. That's the reason, original reason we were kind of. I, I was I was thinking of uh, go, making the game from uh, go from uh, uh, right to left. Hmm. Um, but yeah, sorry, please continue. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then, then things like multi-touch and and things like uh, you know optimizing the art. So it, it runs really well on mobile. Uh, it's already running pretty well, but you know the game has grown a lot and <laughs> needs to cut down. We need to basically make a more condensed version, I think, for mobile. Yeah, the game has, has ended up being pretty huge, um, easily seven, eight hours. We're probably going to cut it, uh, kind of find a good uh, balance between technology and people's expectation of length and, you know, price points and all that. So a lot of things to consider here, for sure. Well, I, I suppose one way you could do it is in, like, level packs. We, we, we've had other uh, developers on mobile mention that, you know, they, like, make the first level free and then they, you know, charge a fee for, like, the, the next set of levels because that's kind of how the way it's done on mobile. 
Yeah, we're definitely going to consider a lot of different uh, uh, monetary approaches. Um, we are, we feel very, very, you know, it's very safe to be like, okay, this is the product, this is the price. But you know, mobile is mobile. It's a different, it's a different environment with different expectations and. And when jokes that like we should give people ten cells and then you pay ninety nine cents for each additional cell, <laughs> sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> um, I'm like I could actually see that working. That <laughs> mobile uh, gaming can be. Yeah, I think some parts of the game would actually be easier if you were smaller, though. I agree. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true, that's true. And, and that's uh, that's actually a lot of people ask me about uh, power ups and the fact that there are no power ups in the game. You know, why can't you, you know, consume bugs and then and, you get bigger? Yeah, and and you know that one of the first things I tried, and it was very clear that coming up with this, the right amount of cells. Is um, and keeping it consistent yeah. is really important. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, that it just like it was too small, and so it worked for some puzzles. It was too big. It was it was just redundant and un, uh, unpleasant to t- tinker with. It. I I think that actually finding the right amount, right size, and and right cell number and the size of the cell, all these little. Pl- Parameters, that is probably the thing that I played the most with, just like so many iterations. Mm. Just changing that on the fly for like to be bigger doesn't actually mean that it's better, just like you said. It's it's actually sometimes worse. So that was, the game kind of wanted to be the same, like the, the, the character wanted to be the same throughout the game, and the environment is the, the, the one thing that changes. So you have like water and you have steam and you have rockets and all these things that you interact completely differently with. Oh, all right. I wanted to ask, is there any point to getting like those, uh, you know, the, those organic uh, creatures, the, uh, the collectibles of the game outside of just bragging rights? Uh, no, not <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's a score. That's the score. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are just very hard to reach. It's kind of like your completionists try to get all 50 for each level. Right. Um, and getting like 45, 48 is decent. Getting all 50 is sometimes very, very hard. Uh, some of them are just hard to reach, and some of them are out of, out of sight. You just don't see them because they're like in different chambers or, or whatnot. So kind of like, and by the way, this is another way of us putting more story, you know, like hiding a lot of the story in places where you don't really need to go. But if you go, there's something waiting for you and there's, you know, some more information as well. So all these little things kind of like, you know, extending where we we can. But, yeah, you can easily finish the game with no... with with complete dis- disregard to I bugs. I think it would be really hard to not get any bugs. Uh, no, you can't. I think that's impossible. I mean, we actually thought of making a, an achievement for not getting bugs, but it's completely impossible. Because we, we use them in the tutorial system. So yeah, there's no one. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's probably somebody out there who's listening to this right now or later on and thinking, challenge accepted. 
because that's that's what that's that's like the other way they go, you know, the zero percent run or the one percent run or whatever the minimum amount of collectibles you can get run. I would love to see that. I would personally, you know, shake the hands of whoever does that. That's that's much harder than getting a fifty out of fifty. Uh, and finally, I want to ask you if you've uh, looked into uh, bringing your game to any of the consoles. Ah, now that's a big question. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, and we are actually actively looking into it right now. Um, we we were discussing, still discussing it with um, Sony and Nintendo for their respective handhelds, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, a pretty obvious choice, but... Um, Right. There are some technical difficulties. It's kind of like, um, uh, for example, you know, the game is uh, very heavy on the touch. It, it basically, you put your, if, if it's a, in touch mode, basically you're putting your finger on the screen 100% of the time. Right. And the Wii U, for example, is, uh, is more... It's harder to press. It's a, it requires it has a, a bit of friction. But you know we're trying to find the the right platforms. We're not just going to put it on a platform if it, if we can't get it to run really well. You know if it feels satisfying. And and as for like you know PS4 or or Xbox One, trying to get this game um, to work with a standard controller. Now, that's a huge challenge, and we're, we're still investigating, let's just say that. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, I, I guess out of all the consoles and handhelds, the Vita would probably be the best fit because it's got the power, uh, supposedly. It's it's um, Unity compatible, and it's yeah. got a multi-touch screen, I believe. Um, and it has, the, it has something really cool, which is the uh, back touch. Mm-hmm. Which allows you to do the, to, make, to play the entire game with still having the screen open, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. So yeah, we're definitely looking into that. Um, yeah, it's all a matter of you know attention and time, and you know we want to get it to to mobile as well. And you know we're we're a very small uh, team, <laughs> so we're doing what we can. No, that makes sense. I mean, and I assume you're handling all the parts yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're we're talking to some, you know, people about other platforms, but um, definitely the mobile. Uh, we're going to take it. We're going to do that. So we're going to make sure it's exactly how we want it to be. All right. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing that come out. On uh, are you going to be like uh, iOS and Android? Mm-hmm. Pretty much for sure. All right, well, you know, because this game will uh, really seems like it will fit on, well on that platform. But, you know, until such time, the game is Mushroom 11. It's available now on Steam uh, for $14.99, and you can get the soundtrack with that for $9.99. Uh, you know, it's like I uh, thank you both for coming to the show, and hopefully we'll have you on again whenever your next project uh, comes around. Thank you so Thanks much. for having us. No problem, no problem. Uh, Petty Fan, play us to the next segment.
All right. Uh, welcome to the topic of discussion. It's been a while since we did one of these, but, you know, here we are again. This week... It happens when you're busy. Yeah, well, it happens when we have mega-long interviews that need covering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some shit has to be cut. No. Mm-hmm. But uh, this week we are talking about King's Quest 4, 5, and 6. Uh, I'm trying to think of how long ago we talked about the first thing, King's Quest. I know it hasn't been that long, but I guess it's been long enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so I guess we start with King's Quest 4, The Perils of Rosella. Yeah, it's like one of the... That can't be a King's Quest game. The name is a terrible pun. Indeed. But <laughs> here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I admit, King's Quest IV is the one I have the least experience with. I, I think I remember playing a bit of it back in the day, but uh, it's, well, the thing about games way back when is there were a lot more compatibility issues. <laughs> because Yeah. I remember, uh, you know, experiencing a lot of the older King's Quest games via this thing called the King's Quest Collection Sierra put out uh, sometime in the mid-90s. And it had all of the, uh, all of the games on it, but it's like, the, ironically, the, the more ancient games worked better than the older ones because uh, the older ones had, uh, pro- the newer ones at that time had problems working outside of 256 color mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, King's and King's, you know, it's like uh, I, I'm not sure if that was the problem with King's Quest Four. I just remember not playing. Like I, I remember the intro to King's Quest Four, but I don't remember anything beyond that. So I can't speak to this as sharply as the others. But you know, though uh, King's Quest Four uh, once again was an important milestone in computer gaming. Uh, you might notice, like, th- that was kind of King's Quest thing. You know, and it's one of, the, it, it's one of those things that's kind of lost uh, in today, you know, when looking at the games today, because, you know, they all look so ancient and ugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but... You know, in their time, this was the state of the art pushing the boundaries of technology um, programs. Making the lesser computers cry. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, it's like in King's Quest IV uh, case, they, they were actually a pioneering vessel um, for sound. Because... Let's talk about the state of PC sound in late. <laughs> Do we have to? Yes. Okay, so you know how when your computer boots up, there are weird beeping noises from inside the tower? Uh-huh. That was what computers used for, like, all of their sound things for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, the PC internal speaker. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I guess, got the job done, but I don't think... You couldn't tell me that it, it created good sounds or good music. I mean, especially, uh, especially com- you know, compared to, say, something like the C64 that had, the, you know, the legendary SID chip in it. Or, you know, the NES, which really had music down. I know it's not a computer, but, you know, 
it's the NES. Mm-hmm. So in late 80s, um, this is when sound was really starting to get good, or at least passable on the... It didn't make your ears want to bleed out. Yeah, on the PC. Because of this, um, you, uh, you know, because of this technology called AdLib. Now, um, it it's something that allowed for I want to say you know not just like multi-channel sound. I mean, it it, it was a quantum leap over the PC internal speaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing about and the thing about AdLib is it was it used off-the-shelf parts, it used general parts, so it got cloned a lot. And yeah. the long and short of this is the AdLib technology would eventually become the Sound Blaster technology. And you certainly heard Sound Blaster a lot in the early 90s. You know. So your computer may actually have a Sound Blaster card in it now, and you just don't know it. Probably. It's just, you know, Sound Blaster cards stopped being, you know, an optional piece of your computer a good long while ago. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, the, they weren't the only format because this is the PC. Like, you know, that, that's one of the things that King's Quest Four did. Like, uh, and, and uh, really a lot of early Sierra games, like uh, King's Quest Three. I'm trying to remember which Leisure Suit Larry game. I, I want to say Leisure Suit Larry Three, uh, a game called Silphied, uh used the uh, you know, use the enhanced um, stuff. Um, but there's also this format called Rollins. Um, and the easiest way I can comp- uh, convey what Roland was to the youth of today is, okay, Sound Blaster was kind of a Honda Accord of PC sound. You know, it was functional. It got the job done, you know, compared to the outright... It was everywhere, yeah. Yeah, uh, and compared to the outright Yugo that was the PC internal speaker. Yugo is being generous, my friend. Yeah, you know, insert your uh, famously bad lemon of choice here. Uh, Anyway, the Roland sound was the Cadillac, the Rolls Royce of sound design back in the late 80s. And, you know, like, I think that shit cost a couple thousand dollars. Uh, for the top, like the Roland 32 stuff, like 32-bit sound, you know. In, that shit was not cheap back yeah, in the day. Yeah, in the late 80s. Oh fuck no. <laughs> uh, and the and how this all relates to King's Quest 4 is this is the first game that used orchestral music. Yeah. As opposed to some guy sitting at a board full of ones and zeros programming things to. Right make the right bloops. Right. This this game is basically the forerunner to every modern soundtrack you've ever heard. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like they were like they were so confident in the emotional resonance in this soundtrack that they that they based their ad campaign around it. They actually build this as, you know, can a computer game make you cry? That's how revolutionary this soundtrack was. Once again, it, it's really hard to convey in the age of, you know, every AAA game having a Hollywood-style orchestral soundtrack. Mm-hmm. 
And it's also worth noting, it's not just an orchestra playing public domain music. Like, the music here was actually written for King's Quest IV. Now, and as noted, you, I, I think you really had to have the Roland stuff in order to get, get the orchestral soundtrack, because AdLib, uh, that was more, well, you know, that MIDI sound. Like that, mm. you know... And, if you if you know the music of say Doom, Wolfenstein 3D, you know any computer game from the uh, early 90s, it, it sounds like that. Yeah, it was all right for the time, but not as good as the Roland stuff. Yeah, yeah, and this and this is the game that really pushed that technology because King like King's Quest is was the flagship of Sierra Online. You know, this, this was their big mainline series, and anything that changed in their adventure games was going to start here. You know, that's kind of relevant for the next one in the in this series. Now, um, let's see. Uh, King, uh, like King's Quest Four was also the last of the uh, the last of the classic uh, design King's Quest. It's the last uh, using um, the parser. In fact, King's Quest IV is kind of this weird hybrid of it's moving towards point and click, but it's still got the like like you can move your character around with the with the mouse. It's like, like you still have to type in text fairly often. Right. Uh yeah. It it uses um the AGI system. And I think it uses the first iteration of the SCI system. The uh, adventure game interpreter was the parser. The Sierra's creative interpreter was the point and click. Like I said, it, it was kind of in between uh, things because, you know, once again, late 80s, you know, uh, lots of different standards. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, more on that in, uh, for five. But I suppose we should actually talk about the game itself. So uh, King's, Quest, uh, King's Quest Four picks up after... Um, Alexander gets home and gets reunited with his family. And, and then the wheel of the spinning protagonist, Chance, lands on... Surprise, uh, surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly, uh, Rosella. Like, yes, the, Who yes. was in the previous game under a different name because so was Alexander. Well, no... Or wait, well, was Al- what game was Alexander Gideon in? Uh, King's Quest Three. Yeah, so... No, no uh, Princess Rosella was always Princess Rosella. Oh, she was? I thought she had an assumed name, too. No, the, n- no because she was never kidnapped. So, yeah, right. surprisingly... Uh, I'll just note this. The royal who got kidnapped was Alexander. That's not to say that King's Quest never delved into more traditional damsel in distress tropes, but I will also not that particular one. Yeah. Well, no, Princess Cosima. Right. But, you know, but I will. I meant just not just not that particular character. Yeah, I will note that these games were created by women. Like uh, Roberta Williams created um, all of the King's Quest games. Now, and King's Quest Six in particular, we'll get to that. Was co-written by Jane Jensen. So. It's kind of hard to accuse them of, you know, being sexist or misogynistic, you know, when you've got 
women using those tropes. I honestly don't know how that works. So, but then again, you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to kind of get those tropes when you're following um, traditional fairy tales, because that's always been a theme in the King's Quest series, um, sometimes more stringent than others. Now, I, I couldn't tell you how, how much fairy tale influence King's Quest IV had in comparison to the others, you know, but, you know, it's definitely fairy tale inspired. Now, although the choice of illness is kind of weird. All right, so getting back to the beginning, um, King Graham basically, he's thinking he's going to retire, and he... As an adventurer, not as king. Yeah. He literally tosses his adventure cap, that is what it's called, and he's going to, you know, whoever catches it is the, is the next adventurer. Now, as it turns out, it's Rosella. And she's conveniently, I would say, given a quest right then and there because King Graham gets a heart attack. Which, you know, sure, why not? Well, it always struck me as odd because, you know, heart attacks aren't a particular, you know, they're not... Yeah, it's not not a very fantasy uh, affliction. Yeah, it's not like it's a fucking curse or, you know, something like the plague. It's a heart attack. You know, so basically, I, I don't know, Rosella has to, get a, has to go into this mystical land and get a fruit that will reduce his cholesterol, basically. <laughs> think about it. I mean... I mean, it's it's makes sense. Well, it is fruit. Yeah, it, it's like that may have been what they were going for there. Now that I think about it, they never really specify what kind of fruit it is or anything. So it's not like it's magic, a, a healthy heart fruit or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she, you know, she has to go, and she only has a day to save King Ram, and the gimmick of this. Um, of this game is it continues the um, real-time timer that the King's Quest 3 had. Although, it's not as bad as, from what I, it's not as bad as King's Quest 3. Oh my god, I, I, I just want to punch somebody in the dick for that, for King's Quest 3. <laughs> Repeatedly, without relent. The King's Quest game makes me want to do that a lot, I know. <laughs> I'm like, you know, there's a lot of, these games have given me a lot of pain over the years. Yeah. I'm sure Sierra intended it that way. Well, of course they did. You know, this is why LucasArts can, you know, they basically rebelled against this entire game design philosophy, you know, starting with the, the Monkey Island game. What if we've made adventure games that don't make you pull your hair out and or save every five minutes in separate file slots because you never know which one you're going to have to go back to? And another catch on. <laughs> anyway, so the point is, you you actually uh, you actually have twenty four in game hours, not an actual like day day. Uh, I'm I'm not sure how the time equations work, but I'm like twenty four minutes. Get to it, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean that general non 
way, not the. Yeah. <laughs> oh right, the whatever. Get to it, bitches. <laughs> get to it, Bichon Freeze. I'm going down. I'm taking you all with me. Yeah. <laughs> no. But well, unique to this game is a day-night cycle. Like, and you, there are strangely some... only one day. I don't know why. But, uh, but the point we're is... programmed in the next two. Yeah. The point is, uh, they were, you know, there are puzzles you can only solve as, at night. Which probably makes for some interesting prioritization of when you do what, seeing as how yeah. there are only so many hours of daylight and night in the game. Mm-hmm. And it's also worth noting, a lot of what goes on in King's Quest Four does come back again in King's Quest Seven. But we're not talking about King's Quest Seven uh, this time around, thank God. <laughs> no, it's like I'm not very high on King's Quest Seven. No. Could be worse. Could be King's Quest Eight. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be fun when we get to that. Yeah. King's Quest, the, the King's Quest for more money. Yeah. All right. So that's about it for King's Quest Four. I really wish I could give more, but like I said. I actually need to play that at some point. You know, unfortunately, the King's Quest collection is no longer on Steam. I do like to say that the one thing this is kind of spoilers for the end of the game here, but I do like the fact that uh, what's her name? Rosalia. What was that? <laughs> Rosalia. No, that's uh, Rosarade. Actually, that's her way to. <laughs> actually turn down the prince's marriage thing as in just to throw in the whole just to throw in the face of everyone that you know, this shit ain't flying with her. She okay. finds him very nice and he's a good person and everything, but she's just not that into him. <laughs> and I thought it's a nice little subversion of the whole fairy tale the man and the woman meet each other and instantly fall in love and happily ever after. But you have a prince and a princess, so they have to get married. Yeah, King's Quest don't play that game. Actually, it does, because... Okay, it doesn't play that game in this situation. Yeah. Because King's Quest V. Now, mm. this, I can talk... I can probably talk for hours about this one. Hold on. A poisonous snake. There, got it out of the way. Nobody can bring it up. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's... I know, I know. I just got it out of the way so nobody can ever do it again. Ever. When you do it that flatly... I did it on purpose that flatly so nobody could ever do it again. (laughs) Anyway, so King's Quest V. This was my first King's Quest game. Like, this was a lot of people's first King's Quest game. King's Quest V was, for a few years, the best-selling computer game of all time. It's not a record it would hold, you know, obviously losing out to, say, like, Doom and eventually Mist, and then the, you know, Sims. But for a good while, this was the, you know, this was the earth-shattering casual portal into PC gaming that a lot of people experience, you know. And one of the reasons is because... It was another push in the push forward in technology. Because this was one of the first games that used BGA graphics. 
Ah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> One of the frustrating things about talking about the past so much and having a young audience is I'm sure a lot of our listeners have no idea what VGA graphics are. Yeah, and unless you got VGA or something to point them in the way, they, you have no idea to understand that this blocky-looking thing was Wave of the Future, and then this one, VGA yeah. graphics, were more Wave of the Future here. Mm-hmm. If it had more than, like, 16 colors, period, it's probably VGA. Yeah, because VGA allowed up to 256 colors. Right, and later and, iterations more. Yeah, well, that's SVGA, I believe. Mm. Yeah, the point is... Um, VGA graphics were, once again, another great leap forward in computer graphics. Like, King's Quest... Uh, King, uh, King... This is actually kind of a hard name to say. King's Quest V had graphics that looked, for their time, like painted backdrops. Like, you could blow that shit up and put it on a wall. I wouldn't actually recommend doing that because it's 256 colors and it would look terrible. <laughs> But, like, you can actually tell the difference between... It's possible to have, like, water and sky in the same frame and not have them look the same without one of them just being black. Right. And, you know, like... You know... And these were considered to be jaw-dropping. Hell, I think King's Quest V is the first game that actually still looks decent in today's day and age. When it comes to Sierra... Because going back to what I said about um, Sierra in general, King's Quest V was the first game to use what, uh, this, um, the Sierra Creative Interpreter. And that later, you know, that seeped into all, all of their other um, adventure games. You know, uh, Police Quest, Space Quest, Leisure Suit Larry, um, uh, Quest for Glory. All of them use the engine that King's Quest V pioneered. You know, that, that's how they got the, you know, the, uni, you know, the, it was always part of the uniformity of Sierra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, it's also worth noting that what this didn't have initially was, like, voice acting. It, it didn't, you know, this game came out in 1990. Uh, once again, CG, um, CD-ROM technology did exist, but we're still a few years out before it, it hits its own catalyst. Mm-hmm. So they did put out a CD-ROM version of this game. You know, it, it's a fully vo- voiced uh, game. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I said it had voice acting, not good voice acting. Oh, God, no. Uh, it, it's oh, rather, I and something, it something load times. It's definitely one of those. They just gathered the the, uh, the janitorial staff and just had them voice in an afternoon, didn't they? <laughs> no, hence the. That point. might actually have been better. Hmm. Mm. Fucking Cedric. Oh, that's something I forgot to mention on on Sunday. This game gave King Graham a fucking annoying sidekick. I was really hoping we'd ignore this part, but it's probably <laughs> inevitable. Like nothing, only mouth here. Well, Cedric? Cedric? People fucking hated Cedric. I wonder why. 
Maybe it was because of his annoying voice. Even before the voice, people hated this fucker because he didn't do anything. Except except be the owl that gives you vague hints to tell about what to do that aren't even helpful. Yeah. He's just... Also, I'll stay out of town because I had an incident with the dog and I don't want that to happen again. Thanks. Thanks for your help, Cedric. I gotta wonder how many people just didn't save his ass because they hated him so much. I mean, you got screwed no, you at the time. Yeah. Still, it's a good thing you didn't bring Cedric into the town, though, because if you did, he probably would have eaten the mouse. No, that was outside of town. Well, whatever. He still probably would have. No. But, uh, yeah. Now, we've talked before about the fuckery of Sierra. <laughs> it reaches its apex here. Because this game... This fucking game found so many ways to fuck you over. And then some. I still have nightmares about this fucking game. Because, God, we were trying to go over it on Sunday. We just, no. The raid was building. I'm pretty sure Adam was considering drinking. No. I do want to hurt whoever designed this. <laughs> because, I mean, I think at this point they admitted, you know, they made the games um, purposefully obtuse in order to sell more hint books. Uh, and or calls to their hint line. Yes. The point is... God, remember when that was a thing? Yes. Uh, like, uh, remember the Nintendo hotline? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never called it, but... Mm-hmm. I always knew it was a thing that, you know, you theoretically could call and then your parents would get fucking pissed because it would probably be a ridiculous amount of money. Of course. Anyway, uh, anyway so King's Quest V absolutely makes the heart go yonder. Forgot to mention the, the stupid subtitle. Now, let's see. Ways you can get fucked over. I think I think the one I mentioned is probably the biggest one because it's really early in the game that you have to save this mouse from this cat. Yeah. And then it's really late in the game that if you haven't done that, you can't progress any further. No, the mouse... The mouse uh, bi- uh, bites through your ropes when you go into the inn and get uh, clocked over the head. I don't know how you were supposed to know that. But, Yeah. It's like Androcles and the lion, only, you know, mm-hmm. you're not a lion. Really, the first place that's probably going to fuck, uh, fuck you over is going into the forest. Because going into the forest, um, they kind of warn you that, I mean, they obviously warn you that you can't go in, but what they don't tell you is it's a point of no return. Like, if you go into the forest and you save in there, you're stuck. And if you don't have the proper equipment, you're not getting out. And goddamn, you, you need—it's like you need the amulet to stop the witch's uh, spell. You need the genie's bottle in order to trap the witch, and you need honey in order to—you uh, need honey and gems in order to uh, get the gnome out. But you need to have the honey there so he gets stuck, and you can grab him, and he'll open the way out. No, I'm not sure how you were supposed to know some of these. Because King's Quest V 
is the paragon of fucking insane moon logic. <laughs> I mean, it's been another running theme in the King's Quest series. See, uh, see Bridal Horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't wait till they get Tomaka and Ogre. Let's play that. <laughs> Although at least this game doesn't ask you to guess Rumpelstiltskin's name in a backward cipher. Yeah, no shit. No, uh, hell, there's one, there's one part where scaling the cliff, cliffs to get to the next area. If you put the ro- rope on the wrong um, cliff edge and you climb up, you'll die. And if you save at that point, uh, you can't un- you, you can't uncouple the rope. Um, or fuck the 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 fact that you need the pie to kill the yeti. Yeah, you know, which to start with does not make a whole ton of sense. It makes well, sense. it does if you've seen Three Stooges. Yeah, it makes sense if you're thinking along the lines of cartoon or comedy logic. The problem is the game gives you no indication it's working on that kind of logic. Right, it's working on fairy tale logic, in which usually the way you defeat it, defeat a monster is somewhat more dramatic than um, I throw a pie at it and then I believe it falls off a cliff or something because it's trying to wipe the pie off its face. Mm-hmm. That being said, we should talk about the actual plot of King's Quest V. Now, because it's kind of weird. This- hey, you remember that bad guy from three? Uh, he has a brother, and he wants revenge. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ogre basically summed it up there. This is one of the few King's Quest games to uh, introduce continuity into mix. Like, uh, there's a lot of continuity going on here, because it's referencing events from King's Quest Three. Admittedly, a game not a lot of people would have played at that point. Or gotten past a certain point. <laughs> yeah. Good luck trying to figure out how to make that uh, cookie oil spell. Yeah. But you don't need to play King's Quest 3 to really understand what happens. They they kind of recap it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and King's Quest 5 actually serves, uh, actually flows directly into King's Quest 6 because, you know, late game they introduced uh, the captive princess Cosima from the land of the Green Isles, and, you know, they played it a lot straighter in this one. You know, uh, Prince Alexander meets Princess Cosima, and they immediately basically become a couple. You know, it's full-on love at first sight, you know, fairy tale romance here. Which, not that there's really anything wrong with that. It's just, it's nice to not always have that. Right. I, I'm saying this one... This one had, well, not so much this one, the next one had in spades. Mm-hmm. No. So, like I said, I could continue bashing King's Quest V over the head for the next half an hour in, in just the fuckery. You know, it's like the fact that you need to get captured by the Blue Beast in order to get thrown in a dungeon cell. Uh, to get a to get a, some moldy cheese that you need for the final battle. Otherwise, you could progress past that point without doing that, and then come up without the cheese later. Yeah, but I think I've made my point here. It's like if you play this game, 
fucking have a walkthrough. This is one game where there is no shame in in knowing what shit is what. Because this game will fuck you over and and enjoy it if it could. And yeah, keep multiple save files. Name them creatively if you can, but not so creatively that you can't remember what they were saves from before. Yeah. So, and that flows into King's Quest VI. Now, um, or rather, I think we'll save that for another day because I'm looking on the clock and it's, well, 10.45. Yes, it is, actually. So... Plus, I kind of want to have a game I like next time we talk about King's Quest. Because King's Quest VI is my favorite in the series. And it's generally considered to be the best one in the King's Quest classic series. So, uh, you know, as mentioned, next week is going to be our year-end retrospective. You know, know, new stories, games, all that stuff. Kind of our you know, week off, or before we actually get our weeks off. So, um, be sure to tune in for that. Uh, The Mugen Souls review this Sunday, and um, uh, MSP on Friday. I believe we are talking about uh, classic, uh, cheesy sci-fi movies. Now, beyond like what MSP3K airs. All right, but... Until such time, I wish you good gaming. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.